hey, welcome to First Church Live. So glad you guys are joining us online. If you're new, my name's Chad, and normally we're a church that meets in a couple different locations throughout northeast Oklahoma, but for the past few weeks, we've been able to say that we are a church that is meeting in hundreds of different locations not just in Northeast Oklahoma, but in 20-plus different states. And last Sunday, we even had people joining us from Mexico. So today I can say, welcome to First Church International. That's awesome. And we're so glad all of you guys are worshiping with us today. But I do have to admit, it's still a little bit of an adjustment because I'm still not used to preaching to an empty room. You guys may not be used to worshiping in your living room or wherever you are right now. And in fact, my wife, Allison, last Sunday, she posted a picture up on our Instagram account of our kids and her watching the service, and here's what she put up there. Here's a picture of our kids. There's daddy in the background preaching, and she put up on Instagram, hashtag new normal. And so we're all kind of adjusting to this new normal, but I want to let you know, First Church, our ministry is stronger than ever. We are having more people join us for worship right now than we ever have before on a regular basis. We're having life groups that meet, and people are joining life groups for the very first time. We're able to minister and serve people throughout the 918 in ways like we haven't before. We are seeing God move in powerful ways. So even though there's a lot going on in our world and some of us are scared and we're worried and we're concerned about the future. God is still in control. He still, he still has this. We are trusting in him and our ministry here at First Church is stronger than ever. But I have to admit, there's a lot of things that I miss right now because of this new normal that we're all living right now. And you probably miss some things too because everything's kind of different. I mean, I miss being able to go on dates with my wife. I really miss that a lot. I miss being able to take my kids different places. There are certain restaurants I miss going to. I miss certain stores. I also miss being able to find basic household items in grocery stores and supermarkets. There's a lot of things right now that I miss. I miss seeing you guys face to face, and I miss seeing my friends and family as well. But out of everything that I miss, one biggie for me, one thing that I really miss a lot, and you guys probably know where I'm going with this because I've talked about it before, I miss watching sports. I mean, I tell you what, I'm really... I don't know. I don't know what to do with some of my free time right now. I don't have a whole lot. But when I do have free time, I don't know what to do with it because I'm used to watching sports. The other night, my family, we were watching a cornhole tournament on ESPN. Now, this wasn't even a live cornhole tournament. This was a replay. But still, this is what we were watching just to get a little bit of athletic competition in our lives. That's how bad things have gotten. And what really bums me out is when I think about the fact that this weekend, was supposed to be the Final Four weekend. I mean, it's like one of my favorite weekends of the year. And normally, I would be watching basketball this weekend, and I can't because the Final Four has been canceled. And that just really breaks my heart. And as I was thinking about this and thinking about attending basketball games, like college basketball games, I was just remembering about how much fun I've had in the past going to basketball games. Because going to a game live, it's not just fun watching the game itself. I mean, that is a lot of fun. But also, there's a lot of other stuff going on, uh, in-venue entertainment that takes place that keeps your interest. It's like during dead ball situations or timeouts, during um, halftime or whatever, the host team will do different things to keep the audience engaged and entertained. You've probably seen stuff like this before, like... They'll put stuff up on the jumbo screen. So they may have a dance cam and they'll play some music and they'll pan the audience and show different people dancing to a song. Sometimes uh, different venues, arenas, stadiums will do like a kiss cam and where they put a couple on screen and try to get them to kiss. And sometimes it doesn't always work out as planned. I saw this the other day online of a couple that was put on the kiss cam and look, 
They're not having it. They do not want to participate in this. And I don't know if you could read his lips. He was kind of cut off at the end. But the dude in this video was like, she's my sister. <laughs> so he definitely did not want to participate in the kiss cam. But there's other things they do for in-venue entertainment. Like, I don't know, they give away stuff. Sometimes they give away T-shirts. And I've seen people who will pay top dollar to have front row seats, like thousands of dollars to sit on the front row of a ball game. And then they come around and pass out these $5 t-shirts. And these people have paid all this money to sit real, uh, right up close. They will lose their minds trying to get a $5 t-shirt because everybody likes a free shirt. And so for those of you guys watching at home right now, we're going to give you a chance to win a free t-shirt, a First Church t-shirt. This shirt right here, if you want it, fill out your connection card online right now. We're going to draw a couple out of each of our services. And you just may win one, and if we draw your name, we'll contact you, and we will send you one in the mail. We'll make sure that we Lysol spray it before we send it to you, so don't worry about that. But still, if you want to win a First Church t-shirt today, just fill out your connection card online, and we, will, we may draw your name, and you just might get one. But then there's other things that they do to keep you entertained during a ball game as well. Typically during halftime, especially at basketball games, they'll do a half-court shot competition. They'll bring out a random fan or fans and let them attempt to shoot a half-court shot for a prize of some sort. And since there aren't any basketball games going on right now, we thought as a staff, or at least some of our staff members thought, it might be fun to have our own half-court shot competition. Take a look at how it turned out. It's a lot harder than it looks, I promise. Now, I have hit a half-court shot in the past. Just no one's ever filmed me doing it. But I have done it. James Summers, our next-gen director, was the only one that hit one the other day. But we had a lot of fun trying. Now, why is it that stadiums and arenas do this in-venue entertainment stuff? They do it because they know something about us. They know that we as human beings hate to wait. And if we wait too long, we become impatient, bored, frustrated, and we might even check out. And if that happens then we might not keep coming back to games. And we all know this to be true. None of us like to wait. None of us like to wait. I mean, if you ever meet somebody who says, yeah, I really like to wait, I enjoy waiting, we're probably going to think that that person's a little weird or odd. Nobody likes to wait. I heard a stat just the other day that said that if a person waits longer than 2.5 seconds to sign on to a website, to log on to a website, they will go to another website. They won't wait any longer than that. And probably this week, I can't see your hands if you were to raise them, but raise your hand at home if you got frustrated waiting for Netflix or Disney Plus to load. We hate to wait. But here's the thing. Even though we all hate to wait, sometimes waiting can actually be a good thing. Waiting may be hard, but it's not always bad. In fact, sometimes waiting is exactly what we need. And God knows this. The Bible lets us know over and over and over again that God is perfectly okay having us wait at times. 
In fact, when you look in the Psalms, you will see this phrase over and over again. How long, O Lord, how long? Multiple different uh, psalmists will write, how long, O Lord? As if God's people, they're crying out saying, God, why haven't you done something yet? God, why haven't you moved yet? Why haven't you acted yet? Over and over, and you hear God's people crying out, how long, O Lord? And there's a reason why God sometimes makes us wait. There's a reason why sometimes God delays. There's a reason why sometimes God doesn't do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. Because you see, our story, the story of our lives, is part of a bigger story. His story. That we don't always see clearly, but he does. And he knows what's best for us. And God doesn't want for us to give up what we need the most for what we want right now. God is playing out his bigger story, and he wants our story to be a part of it. So sometimes God delays to teach us something. Sometimes he delays because he's got something better in store for us. And sometimes it's a combination of both. And there's a lot of passages that teach us this and illustrate this, but there's no passage, I think, that more powerfully illustrates this than a scene that takes place in Jesus' life in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up John chapter 11 with me, and this is what I believe we are going to discover today. We are going to discover that we should never confuse the silence of God for the inactivity of God. Never confuse the silence of God for the inactivity of God. And so in John chapter 11, what we find out is that Jesus is at the end of his earthly ministry. The cross is not too far away at all. And Jesus, well, he's become pretty popular. A lot of people are following him. And he's so popular that the religious leaders in Jerusalem are very jealous of him. They want to take him out. They want to get rid of him for good. They are already plotting and planning his death. And Jesus knows this is going on. So Jesus decides to leave Jerusalem for a while because he's going to the cross, but his time is not yet come. So he gets away from Jerusalem for a little bit so that the tensions can kind of die down. And he crosses the Jordan River, and while he's in another area, he gets a message. He gets word from some of his closest friends that there's an issue going on in their lives. Some friends who actually lived in a small village close to Jerusalem. You may have heard of them before, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They send word to Jesus, and the word that they send, the message that they send, well, it's not the news that anybody wanted to hear. John chapter 11 verse 1 tells us what that news was. And it says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany, a small village near Jerusalem, with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now I want you to notice something here. Notice how... They speak of Lazarus to Jesus. They say, your dear friend is sick. Outside of Jesus' 12 disciples, no one was closer to Jesus than Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. These aren't just friends. These aren't just close friends. These guys are like family to Jesus. So when they send this message to Jesus, it's not, hey, some guy you met one time is sick, or some guy you kind of know is sick, or some acquaintance of yours is sick. No, it's your dear friend is very sick, close, close to death. And so they send word to Jesus to let him know, we need help. And this lets us know something. This lets us know a key truth that I think is important. 
Just because you're close to Jesus doesn't mean that tragedy and hardships aren't going to happen. Even when you have a close relationship with Jesus, even when you know him well, tragedy and hardships are still going to happen. And I think sometimes we need to hear that because we think, well, if I'm living my life right, if I'm living by faith, then nothing bad should ever happen to me. But that's not the case. We live in a fallen world, and bad things happen to both good and bad people alike. Just because you're close with Jesus doesn't mean hardships, doesn't mean that tragedy is not going to happen in your life. So Mary and Martha, they're experiencing this because their brother is sick, and they send message to Jesus. They say, please, get here now. We need your help. And Mary and Martha, they have the confidence that Jesus will drop everything he's doing in order to get to them. And we understand why they would think he would do that. I mean, Jesus did this over and over and over again. There are multiple different examples of Jesus dropping everything he was doing in order to help somebody out, even people who didn't even know him that well. I mean, take, for example, uh, the woman who was suffering with an issue of blood for years. She reaches out to Jesus in the midst of a crowd of people, and she grabs his robe, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And his disciples look at him, they say, Master, what do you mean who touched you? There's people all around you. Everybody's touching you. He said, no, somebody touched me. And he stops to help this woman who didn't even know him. What about the time when Jesus is going through the streets of Jericho? There's a blind man named Bartimaeus on the side of the road, and he's shouting out to Jesus, and he's asking for help. And all the people, the crowds around him were saying, hush, be quiet, Bartimaeus. Don't bother the master. And Jesus stops this parade that he's in. And he goes over to Bartimaeus and says, how can I help you? Over and over and over again, Jesus stopped whatever he was doing to help someone out in need. And so we can understand why Mary and Martha would think that Jesus would drop everything to help them. They're his closest friends. They're like family to him. And you've probably done something similar like that before. Just a few weeks ago, I got a call that somebody that I was very close to in the last church I served had passed away. She was on staff with us. She did a lot of our custodial work. She also worked in the office. Her name was Ruth Ann. And she was like an adopted grandmother to my kids. Adopted grandma to me, for that matter. Loved her to death. And I got word that she had passed away. And the family asked for me to come back and do the funeral. They also asked C.J. Epperson, our Stone Canyon minister, to come back because he was on staff with me there as well. And she was like an adopted grandmother to him too. So even though all this coronavirus stuff was developing, it wasn't near as bad as it is now, we still dropped everything, drove 12 hours to go and meet with the family, write a funeral message, do this service. We even got all dressed up for this funeral, as you do. I mean, here we are, all dressed up. I show this because I don't wear suits a whole lot. I mean, this is a rare thing. And my family didn't go with us because we were still nervous about all the coronavirus news. So I sent this picture back to Allison, and she showed it to my kids. And Addie, my little daughter, said, Daddy looks like a prince. Yes, I do, baby girl. I sure do. I look like a prince. So never forget that. I'm your prince always. But anyway, we got all dressed up. Now, why did we do all that? Why did we go to all the trouble to drive back 12 hours and then to meet with the family and do the funeral service, get all dressed up? Why do we do that? Because you drop everything for people you love. You drop everything for people you care about. You drop everything to show respect to someone who means something to you. We've probably all done that before. So we understand why Mary and Martha would think, yeah, Jesus will drop everything to come take care of his friend, Lazarus. But that's not what happens. Read on if you would. In John chapter 11, it says, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he did love them. He stayed where he was for the next two days. Jesus intentionally delays going to see 
Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now that sounds a little odd, I know, but there's a reason why he did this. If you back up into verse 4, look at what the text says. It says that when Jesus first heard about what was going on, this is what he says to his disciples, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Know what happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Jesus has a plan. Spoiler alert, Jesus is going to let Lazarus die. He's got a plan. He's going to bring Lazarus back from the grave, and he is going to demonstrate God's power in a way like the people had never seen before. Jesus had a plan, but Mary and Martha, they didn't know that. Jesus' disciples, they didn't know that either. They didn't know what his plan was. And from an outsider perspective, it looks as if Jesus is being uncaring, unloving, like Lazarus really doesn't matter that much to him. But that teaches us something else about Jesus. It teaches this, Jesus' delay doesn't contradict his love. Jesus' delay doesn't contradict his love. And I think more than anything else I say here today, some of you guys need to hear that. Just because Jesus is not doing for you exactly what you want him to do at the moment you want him to do it, doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Doesn't mean he doesn't care about you. Doesn't mean his eyes aren't on you. Doesn't mean he's not paying attention to you. Jesus' delay doesn't contradict his love. Jesus', Jesus delay might just mean that he has something better in store for you than what you can even see right now. It might mean he's teaching you something in this moment. And I think that's what's going on here in this moment. Jesus wants to teach his disciples, teach Mary and Martha something, but he also wants to reveal God's glory in a more powerful way than they could even imagine. And so let's see what happens as Jesus gets to Bethany. So he finally leaves after delaying his trip. He finally leaves and it says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming... She went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. We wonder if Mary is either so distraught she can't look at Jesus, or maybe she's a little frustrated with Jesus for not coming sooner. We don't know. But Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. See those two words, if only? Can't you hear her disappointment? Can't you hear her frustration? Jesus, if only you had been here sooner. If only you had been here, you could have done something. Jesus, if only. Why the delay, Jesus? It's interesting because later on, Jesus will have a conversation with Mary, the other sister, and Mary is going to say the exact same thing to Jesus. Look what Mary says to him. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only... If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's as if Mary and Martha for the past four days have been having this conversation. If only Jesus could have gotten here, if only Jesus had been here, if only Jesus could have done something, if only. And let me ask, have you ever had an if only conversation with God? God, if only you would have done this, then this could have happened in my life. God, if only you would have fixed this, corrected this, helped me in this way. God, if only you would have been there in that moment as I wanted you to be there. God, if only... 
And sometimes when God doesn't answer our if-only request, we get disappointed, even frustrated with him. And in those moments, that's when we need to remember, never confuse the silence of God for the inactivity of God. Because God is always at work, and he always has his eyes on us. And I think Martha gets this deep down. That's why she says what she says next in this passage. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then look at, look at the very next line that Martha says. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. It's if Martha's saying, if only you would have been here, you could have stopped this from happening. But I know you can still work. I know God is still in control. And I think that's why Jesus says what he says to her next. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And then he goes on to say, everyone who lives in me and believes me will, will never ever die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? In other words, Martha, I'm the one who holds life in his hands. I'm the one who possesses the keys to life and death. I'm the one that is holding the universe, the cosmos. Do you trust me? Do you believe this? And Martha acknowledges that she intellectually believes this, but I think Jesus is asking something much deeper than just her intellectual acknowledgement that he is the Messiah. Because that word believe in Greek is actually the verb form of the word faith. What Jesus actually asks here is, do you faith this? In other words, Martha, are you willing to go through life? No matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what darkness you face, are you willing to go through life placing your faith in me? Knowing that I am the one who holds everything in my hands. Knowing that I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Are you willing to faith your way through life? I love what one Christian author says about this conversation between Martha and Jesus. Randy Harris writes, it wasn't a theological conversation. It wasn't a theoretical conversation. It was about a way of life. The question was about faithing your way through life. And my question to you today is, do you believe this? Do you faith this? Do you believe that Jesus is always working whether you see him working in your life or not right now? So Jesus has this conversation with Martha, and then he goes on, he has another conversation with Mary, and eventually Mary and Martha, they bring Jesus to the tomb of Lazarus. And what's interesting is Jesus is deeply moved when he gets to the tomb. In fact, John 11 verse 33 says this, it says, when Jesus saw her, speak of Mary, weeping, and saw the other people, the family members, the friends who were gathered there, wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Now, this is how the New Living Translation puts this. A deep anger welled up inside of Jesus. Some English translations say that he was deeply moved, but I like this better. This is more literal. This captures more what the Greek says. Jesus was upset. He was upset, and he wasn't upset that the people were mourning. He wasn't upset that the people were weeping. He was upset because he was frustrated with the pain that death had caused those who were there, those who were there that day. 
You see, God hates death more than we do because death was never part of his original plan. God created us to live forever. And when Jesus looked around and saw all the mourning, all the weeping, all the pain, all the heartache, all the sorrow that his friends, those he loved, were experiencing, his heart broke. And he said, I hate this. I hate all this pain. I hate all this suffering. And that's why we have the shortest verse in the Bible that comes next. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. This lets us know something about our God. See, why did Jesus weep? Jesus knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. He'd already predicted he was going to do this. In just a few minutes, he was going to see his buddy again. Jesus wasn't weeping because he missed his friend. He was weeping because he hated to see all the pain that death had caused. This lets us know something. Jesus feels our pain. When we weep, he weeps right along with us. When we cry, he cries right along with us. He hates to see us suffer. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that one day the final enemy, death, will be defeated. And when death is defeated, Jesus will say enough, enough pain, enough suffering, enough heartache, enough sickness, enough viruses, enough everything. Death will be no more. And we will live forever with him. There's coming a day when all that will be gone. But for right now, because we live in a fallen world, Jesus feels our pain. He weeps right along with us. And what's interesting to me is that if we want to look at this in our present situation, look at this COVID-19 situation, I think when Jesus looks at the situation we're in right now, he hates it as much as we do. He wishes or he wants it to go away, but he's allowing it to happen because he wants to use this moment. I believe he wants to use this moment for his good, even though it's not a good situation. Just like he wanted to use this moment with Lazarus' death to reveal God's glory in a much more powerful way. So let's read on and see what happens in John chapter 11. Jesus looks at the tomb of Lazarus and he says, roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. I love Martha. She's so practical here. In fact, if you look at the old King James Version, it says, by this time he stinketh. I love that language. Lazarus, he's moved on to the stinketh mode right now. The stinketh territory. Don't roll back the stone. It's going to be a bad scene, Jesus. Don't do this. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face Wrapped in a headcloth, Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Can you imagine witnessing that? Can you imagine seeing this take place? A man who had been dead for four days walking out of the tomb because Jesus commanded him to come out. Can you imagine seeing that? And as powerful as this moment was, as powerful as those words were, Lazarus, come out. I think the most powerful thing that Jesus says in this entire passage are these words. 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe this? Because here's the thing. Jesus knew what Mary and Martha wanted, but he also knew what was more important is who they needed. And that was him. See, what Mary and Martha Martha wanted was for Jesus to get there earlier so that he could have prevented their brother from dying. That's what they wanted. What they needed was him to understand who he really was and is. Because there was going to come a day when Lazarus was going to die again. Lazarus didn't live forever after this. He died again. And on that day, Jesus would still be Lord. And right now, I think that's what we need to understand as well. Life isn't all about getting what we want in the moment, but finding the one we really need. And I know there are people right now asking, if God is really in control, how come he doesn't just get rid of this COVID-19 thing? Guys, this will pass one day. But until it does, maybe God is using this moment to remind us of who he really is. Because I think that's the church's purpose at this time. I think the church's purpose at this point in history is to remind the world, to tell the world who Jesus really is. Because we need to know that more than anything else. And what we want pales in comparison to the one we need to know. See, I believe we're here to let the world know just that. That Jesus is the one who holds life in his hands. And we need to faith our way through life trusting in him. And I think when this whole COVID-19 situation first came about, I think Satan, our enemy, was giddy. I think he was looking at the possibility of churches not physically meeting and churches having to cancel their small groups and churches having to not do the typical ministry that they were doing. And I think Satan was giddy thinking, yes, I'm going to stop the church at least for a moment. And here's the thing. We haven't let him. You know why? Because we were asked this question do you believe this? Do you faith this? And we said it doesn't matter if we can't physically meet in our regular locations. It doesn't matter if we have to do it online. It doesn't matter if we have to change our ministry strategy. It doesn't matter if we have to make extra sacrifices. It doesn't matter if we have to live in darkness for a little while. We're going to be light because our mission has not changed. And I'm convinced that we could be on the verge I've seen God's glory on display like none of us have ever seen in our lifetimes. Never confuse the inactivity of God. I mean, never confuse the signs of God for the inactivity of God. Never mistake the inactivity of God. The signs of God for the inactivity of God. I had a Zoom call just the other day with some preachers at some large churches and here are some of us actually we all couldn't fit on the same screen these are all guys who serve at churches of a thousand or more and what's interesting is as I listen to these guys talk about what's going on in their churches right now no one was panicked uh, maybe a little stressed but nobody was panicked nobody was ready to give up in fact I heard story after story after story of God doing incredible things one guy said that they've been having multiple baptisms every single week. 
Here at First Church, we're having more people worship with us than ever before through our online venue. We're able to serve people like we never have before. Never confuse the silence of God for the inactivity of God. God is at work. And right now, if you need to draw closer to God, if you need to connect with Him, don't wait. Maybe God is using this moment to create space in your life to find the one you need. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Maybe you need to invite somebody to watch our services online, to worship with us online. Maybe you need to make sure that you're going to worship with us online. Maybe you need to join a group. If you want to join a group, contact our church, email us, call us. You can get plugged into a group right now, even though we're meeting through Zoom calls and online means. You can still get plugged into a group. But maybe you're watching right now, and you know you're far from God, and you need to accept Jesus as your Lord, and you need to get baptized into Him. Don't let social distancing stop you from making the most important decision in your life. We typically have baptisms on Easter Sunday. I hope we have baptisms again this Easter Sunday. We're going to put together something, kind of a DIY baptism kit to where if you want to do it yourself in the sense of have somebody at your home baptize you, if you've got a tub of water, you can do it at home. And if you want to do that this coming week, Easter week or Easter Sunday, you can do that, take pictures of it, video it, send it to us. We're going to put that stuff out. But also we're going to be available if you want us to baptize you. We'll figure out a safe way to do it. We, have to, we, may, we may have to wear masks or whatever, but we'll figure out a way to do it. This Easter could be your best Easter yet. Because Easter reminds us that in the midst of the darkness, there is light. Jesus is the light of the world. Never, never confuse the silence of God for the inactivity of God. Jesus is the resurrection life. Do you believe that? I do. And I can't wait to see God's glory on display more so than what I ever have before. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today, and I thank you for this time we've had to meet together as your people in this place. You are the way maker. Even in the midst of darkness, you make a way. Even in the midst of trouble, you find a way for us. Father, may we trust you. May we let you lead us. May we remember that you're the one that holds life in your hands. Father, we are faithing our way through life, knowing that just because you appear to be silent in this moment doesn't mean that you aren't active. You are working in our lives. You love us. You have a plan for us. And we fully trust you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.